0: Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in.
1: Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the owner of Delivery Drivers, Inc., Aaron Hagman. Few things have made as clear by recent events. Few things have been made as clear by recent events as the importance of robust delivery solutions. Aaron took the helm of Delivery Drivers Inc. in 2004 and quickly expanded their fleet of independent contractors from 3,000 to 15,000 employees over a few short years. DDI's goal is to provide clients with easy, last-mile delivery solutions while also empowering independent contractors in today's economy. Even though the company has been been, uh, successfully building a reputation for more than a decade, 2020 saw the huge need for delivery services and, through Aaron's management, earned its listing on the Inc. 5000. When he isn't building profitable, scalable businesses, Aaron now uses his experience to mentor new entrepreneurs and dedicates his free time to fighting homelessness in California. Delivery Drivers Inc. is growing like crazy. So, Aaron, let's get to it. Thank you for being here today, my man. Hey, thank
0: you. That is the longest intro ever that my team provided. I love that. There we go.
1: There we go. Well, man, that's that's our take on what we've heard about your story. But in your own words, how did you get into this? Man, let's, let's jump
0: right into it. You know, I think the one thing uh, that I thought in hearing that story is, you know, some of those dates, this this started all the way back in the 90s, really. So wow. this is one of these, uh, what do we call it? You know, hitting the Ink 5000, one of the classic 20-year overnight success stories. <laughs> there we go. You know, uh, uh, <laughs> and that said, let, let's start way back in the day. You know, for me personally, as an entrepreneur, it started with... When I was younger, I always had an interest in law, and while I've been an entrepreneur my whole life since you know 19 years old, essentially, uh, you know, once upon a time I was an intern with the district attorney, and you know, really in love with that side of business, and 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 had an interest in those things. I was going to school to study political science, international relations, and somewhere along the way, fell in love with entrepreneurialism, and I had a job when I was in college. Uh, I was doing independent 1099 driving, right? As a caterer and doing delivery and corporate stuff and things like that. And saw an opportunity, fell in love with it. And I'm just, I'm a guy who's driven by independence and freedom. Yeah. And, you know, we've really now built a company over almost uh, 25 years now. Uh, since 96 is really, you know, nineteen ninety seven, maybe the very first year of business uh, at an early basis to where now we support drivers nationwide at a large, large scale and businesses of all different types. So, yeah, it's, it's a pretty exciting kind of long
1: story. Yeah. So how did it actually get started? What, what was the first iteration of the company?
0: So we started with a handful of clients in Southern California. We're based in Orange County, uh, in Irvine, in uh, California. And there were a handful in the late 90s of third-party restaurant delivery services. Now, this is, you know, in the 90s, right? So this is kind of early internet, pre-Grubhub, pre-Doordash, and all those things, definitely. And really what we did is an early version of our program. And, you know, what we do today is we're a third party at the DDI, Delivery Drivers, Inc., We're a third-party HR partner with a huge 1099 driver network now, tens of thousands of drivers uh, nationwide in basically every city. We help with both the companies and the drivers with onboarding and all the accounting and taxes and the risk management work, kind of managing this 1099 conversation, which a lot of people are aware of these days, Prop 22 in California and the whole debate about workers' rights and drivers' rights and all that, Uber, Lyft, et cetera. And we started with a handful of companies in Southern California, you know, maybe 100 drivers, 150 drivers, you know, San Diego, Orange County, a handful in L.A. where we were originally. And, you know, I was a driver once upon a time myself. And, you know, we started working with it was just me, uh, you know, the solopreneur uh in in the office in the late 90s and you know we recruit drivers and this and that but you know if you kind of follow the timelines I was still doing some catering on this side at night you know getting our hustle on my hustle on and things like that so uh,
1: what was the most challenging part was it getting the drivers to agree to be a part of this was it getting those first few companies to to use you what was the most difficult part at first
0: yeah you know I think the early part for any business owner scaling up comes to almost just we have to wear every hat right Right. And so it comes to getting out of our own way. We've always had a pretty good idea, I'm happy to say. So, drivers, you know, they're, they're happy to sign on. Everybody's looking for work. We get to help them out. We get to help them do the 1099 game, right? So, yeah, you're an independent contractor, but if you're under the DDI flag, we got insurance for you and different jobs all over. It's really great. And companies were on board with what we were doing, trying to help them manage their risk and, you know, outsource all these services along the way as an HR partner. So, really, what's the hardest part? Uh, how do I tell the story? Early on, you know, if we're going way back through like year one, year two, it's what? Uh, I had one person on my team and she came in after her real job on Wednesdays. That's wow. still, it still gets me, by the way, 25 years later, you can hear it. You know, uh, and she came in Wednesdays uh, after her real, real job on, at five o'clock to cut the checks you know, for the drivers, because we were in a paper system back in, you know, the 20th century. (laughs) Um, So, so it's just scaling up. And, you know, I look back, it's like, well, get out of your own way. You know, so how do you know, you do everything at once when we are the founder entrepreneurs to our business. So it was that lifelong evolution. I'm still going through it, man. And just the new version in 2021 of going from founder to CEO. You know, how yeah. do you go from that entrepreneurial founder to evolve into building teams and getting out of the way? And,
1: you know, I think well, talk to me about right? that. that. That is I know people listening to this are learning that same lesson, right? Like you got to be a jack of all trades at first. You just can't afford to hire around you. You're just trying to get the company off the ground. But then there's the challenge, the logistical challenge. What, when, how? You know, being able to afford it. And then the other is the emotional challenge, I imagine, of trusting other people to do something that you've been doing. What's that been like for you transitioning slowly from founder to CEO?
0: Great question. Um, You know, it's always hard to let go of the things we love. First things first. What did I probably, if I just start with a mistake, I'm pretty good at sales. I love my company. I know what we do. I'm very passionate about why we do what we do. You know, most of us entrepreneurs are, right? Right. But for far too long, just because I may forever be the best salesperson for DDI, you know, means you hold on to those things for far too long. So to your question, how do I say get past that emotional hurdle? For me, I'm, I'm kind of a numbers nerd. And a numbers guy, and something I teach other entrepreneurs and coaching is this concept of 80% is okay. And it was as simple as, as soon as I had two sales team members on my team, and I accepted that, yes, fine, they may make mistakes and they may not put up the same level of numbers. But two people at 80% of my output, if they're good, you know, they have to be good. Yeah. It's 160% of Aaron, <laughs> you know? So when I think about it that way, it started to become, okay, well, how do I want to scale? And it was always trying to grow, always trying to look ahead. So thoughts like that. That's, that's one starting point. I
1: love that. I love that. Well, but again,
0: that's a mistake. I, I do it these days and I'm I'm not really touching sales at all in the context of DDI in 2021, but would have done that one sooner.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, when we, we'll leave the early chapter at some point, but I'm just always fascinated because that's the, it seems to be the most tenuous years. Every, every part of the journey has got moments that you could totally lose everything, I'm sure. But in those early tenuous years, you're trying to establish yourself. You're trying to even you know build a culture, recruit the right people, keep your customers happy. Like, What are some of the primary lessons that emerge for you there that you think apply to many other startups as well?
0: Yeah, let's go with three words, you know, and, you know, they're sort of classic concepts we may talk about on a podcast like yours, but we'll, we'll dig into them because they're appropriate. It's vision, team, and culture. You know, one thing I know 25 years in business and running a company that is just, you know, doing uh, truly tens of millions of dollars in receivables these days, uh, each month comes down to sticking with vision and always finding opportunities to keep infusion vision as we grow so i think in early days right you know you build your teams you get scared on it you know how do i let this piece go or whatever and a lot of times the way we execute things it's actually okay and probably should change if you're in business long enough right how we do things but why We do it and kind of sticking to that vision. And as a leader, continuing to infuse vision. And I got stories, good and bad, over the years on this. And, you know, sharing tough stories because I think we learned lessons from those. It's technology, right? Mm. For me, is the idea of vision into tech. Like I've built the tech. I'm not a tech guy. I understand it, but, you know, I don't build it. I'm not the engineer and the coder and such. So, the mistake I made for a couple of years was really letting them run operationally without continued leadership support from me or some of the other leaders at this point into to the vision, into tech. And that's just an example. Pick your department, pick your team. yeah, And finding those opportunities to keep the train aligned, you know, why we do what we do, really focus there. People tend to fall in line with, okay, well, i figure out a way to support that.
1: Yeah. What What's the danger? If people lose connection to the vision, lose connection to the why, what's the danger?
0: Well, there's, there's danger on a couple of things, right? I, I first think just instinctively customers and team, right? What's the danger to the customers? You get a customer that gets out of line when your vision's off, and the product gets delivered, maybe a different way. that's yes. not in line with that. You're going to lose that value that the customer gets. On. I don't care what it is. Maybe you're a florist right? And your vision is this amazing presentation. And suddenly you scale, and you have two shops. And if you're not, hey, this is the vision of what my our florist shop is. The person putting together the bouquets at the second shop might not just say, oh, it's just about the quality of the flower. It's not about the presentation. And there's some value to that point, right? But the vision becomes off and suddenly the values lost to the end customer. And so that's one thought. And candidly, as you grow a team, <laughs> vision's important, you know, keeping people from a leadership of- in line not in line but in tune with you know what we're doing and why we do it right. why we work so hard in a busy growing company that's important
1: so i think yeah. of the internal
0: team and the external team and in that case customers
1: totally uh how do you personally think about culture how do you build it what do you think it's comprised of i know every it's a buzzword and everybody's got kind of different thoughts on it how do you think about it for sure uh two thoughts to open this conversation one where's we'll start with the cliche since everybody talks about it. it's
0: like if you don't kind of Create a culture; it'll create itself. I don't know if you've heard a version of that expression, and you know it's true. You know, so where do I take that? Okay, if that's the 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 idea that we all take out there, my adaptation of thought is the word deliberate. Man, at DDI, I'm pretty intentful and proud of our very deliberate culture. And for us, what does that mean? It's a culture about our team members. It's value number one on the wall, as we would say in corporate values: is people first. Um, I argued very strongly with my senior team for a while. That should be employees first, but we settled on people first, but you yeah. get where I'm coming from yeah. on that. Right. And it's this idea that our coffee doesn't suck in the break room, <laughs> you know, to uh, we work from home. Okay. I want to make sure you're working from home experiences as best as it can be in these crazy times in particular. Right. Uh, and things like that. So what does culture mean? I don't, you know, doing it intentfully because every piece of it matters. So if we want team building events, you know, then we have a budget for it that the team would get and have an owner be like, make this event awesome. And let's give some feedback and manage it like we would anything at DDI, right? Uh, so man, I, I get pretty, you know, no, it's uh, awesome. excited about this one because, you know, you can really run this,
1: really really far
0: through the you know,
1: you know a lot of companies get stuck with culture being values that are on paper uh on the wall like you mentioned but i have a hard time sometimes seeing those come off the wall and actually be lived and embodied in the decisions people are making and the way we treat each other how have you found what are some effective ways to make sure that it's actually a part of the culture versus something we aspired to but never really lived up to yeah, just let, slow down
0: and think about where can we deliberately, to stick with my theme here on culture, insert, you know, our values into the process, right? And a couple examples come in hiring, you know, I had a great conversation with my HR leader not long ago on just, hey, how are we currently incorporating our values into the hiring process? Are we interviewing, putting questions around, you know? Value number two at DDI is continued development. We'll probably talk about that at some point today. So we'll ask questions, you know, what are you doing in your life to to keep learning? Or are you a reader? That's a question I love to ask applicants. Things like that to to understand where they align with these values. Because you find people that align with the values on the front side of things, and you're already off to a great start. Secondarily, reviews. So then we actually have a section in our reviews. We're like, how are we doing living our culture? How are you doing? So the supervisor may sit down with the employee after the first 90 days or whatever, you know, the frequency may be, you know, once a quarter, twice a year, whatever, you know, the formal cadence is to say, man, how are we doing living this, you know, value of X, Y, Z, and, you know, how are you you seen it in your life? Uh, so a couple of quick examples, hiring reviews. And again, you can go on and on when you start to think of this, how would I say it? Ta- tactically, <laughs> you know, like, yeah.
1: okay, we'll do this. Yeah. We'll do this. I love it. I love it. And the impact I'm sure you would agree is, is massive, right? Like this is a friend of mine was the CFO of a huge tech company uh, and talked about when I asked him, what was the number one thing? He's like, man, I hate to say it, but when I started making our values, the thing that we actually tracked, the thing that we actually encouraged, it had a noticeable impact on the bottom line would you agree
0: i would completely agree and again i'm going to keep sticking just to be focused on a couple of the most you know the first two sort of more spoken values values yeah. for us which are people first and then secondarily it's continued growth and development and you know lifelong learning if you will yep and so as i think of a lesson for our audience in terms of scale you know we go from small businesses to medium businesses for us over the last couple of years medium businesses into a pretty large business you know we grow our teams and suddenly getting away from management teams and leadership teams to where for me at DDI i'm now building an executive team this is a different level of you know person and you know experience and people on here uh, you know, across this team Really making sure first and foremost, they fit culture, they fit values, and they fit the alignment of how we work because there's lots of people that are very successful. It's just, are you going to fit in here? And are we going to mesh well together? Are you going to add something to DDI? Is DDI going to add something to you? It became, I'm super happy to say, a great success story and looking at my first half a dozen executives around my executive team with me. Yeah because there's such people driven, you know, uh, leaders that are really technically great at jobs, of course. And they're, you know, analytical and such, but they're driven with heart and people and they care about the growth of their team because we're growing fast and we need these traits in play.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk about that, that, that shift where it sounds like from what I gather from your story, there was a long period of time where it grew, but it stayed somewhat in that small to medium sized category. And then, Somewhere in the in the recent last few years, a real kind of hockey stick seems to have emerged for you to be, like you said, really growing into that medium to large size company. What do you think? Why was that? Why was that the case? Like, how would you think about that arc of your growth?
0: Yeah, uh, great question. Sort of, uh, I'd characterize it in three phases. So the first, you know, ten years of the business, slow and steady growth. Classic small business entrepreneur probably didn't get out of my way fast enough. But you know, building a good business, making money, building a team, had my first six, 10, 12 employees. Yeah. Right. And you're like, all right, cool. Get yeah, past the million dollar revenue mark. You're like, I got a nice small business. And you start to grow and, and you're getting there. Then, the next thing happened, and we knew this in the late 90s that, you know, logistics and delivery and independent contractors, these concepts have been around for a long time. And we'd leaned into this space, I'm happy to say, 20 years ago. And the next thing that started to happen, in, you know, maybe at this point, 10 years ago in the story is that the world started to grow and and Amazon really getting out there. And suddenly Grubhub started to pop up and the door dashes of the world, you know, and large business enterprise and global business, you know, came into play and in, in, in large retail, big business. And I do mean this Fortune 500 mentality perspective came into our world. And at that point, phase two, heavy investment into tech, and the growth and reengineering how we we did what we did to play at scale right so so that Were was a the competition ex- no not necessarily it's it's cuz we've served this space in many ways okay. many of the big companies often try to figure out how can i do these things on my own Versus leaning on expertise and bottled up solutions and things like that, you know, it's kind of like, well, I could do my payroll on my own. I could get the software and this and that, or you can work with an ADP to, you know, have your plug and play solutions for stuff. And so there's always that as the big companies come into the market, you know, and I think that's true for all our businesses. They go, well, you know, maybe I can handle this on my own, or maybe I'll just go get this directly from this person on my own. I don't need you, you know. So that's always in play. But actually, what helped us get to base three to our story, is that investment into tech and the investment into continuing to be excellent at what we do in terms of product and, you know, technology and team. And that let us then move and capture the interest of this new evolving space. And I'm happy to say we've got Fortune 500 customers and delivery spaces and all different products, you know, from automotive to grocery to this, and that, uh, in retail. Uh, these days at DDI. So there became a tipping point in terms of velocity and really starting to scale up and, and move into the, phase, the next phase of the business over the last was that, four or five years.
1: Was that decision to invest in technology at that time, was it obvious or was it non-obvious that that was the right move?
0: I think in many ways it's relatively obvious. I don't think that's a – I think we all understand that we need to continue to adapt and evolve to compete but in many ways, it became scale. <laughs> I had a thought, and I'll stick with our story of the lady that came in after her real job to cut the checks. Well, eventually, that lady became a full-time team member on my team, right? That was my first full-time employee, and I had a full-time accounting team member, and we got to a point where my team member could handle about 500 drivers, and she was about maxed out. It was a paper world, you know, we're using, you know, late 90s, 2000 era, 20 years ago tech, but we we're doing our thing, and it was awesome, when we were growing this my small business, and you know, the concept in my head was, well, all right, I'm going to, man, I'm going to get to 2,000 drivers. I'm going to get to 1,000 drivers. And I was like, I'm going to need two of her if I get to 1,000 drivers because she's almost maxed out at 500. And I was like, well, what if I just did this and this and I could let, what her name was Pam. And I think about it, I was like, well, what if one Pam on my team could handle 2,000 drivers? All I need to do this and this. And the thought here was, man, to support a growing company. When we look at the application and technology, some people get scared. They're like, robots are taking our jobs. For us growing companies, what's really cool is you get to take these opportunities for our team members and the chance to say, hey, could you handle the four times the business with better tools? And suddenly, follow me, you can pay that person 20 or 30% more for their job. They're happy. They're winning. We're all growing together, and we can start to achieve scale. So I had early thoughts. It just became investing into the team members, the expertise, and the tools.
1: And Makes that total phase sense. Two,
0: phase two.
1: At this point, I know it's still somewhat of a guessing game on, maybe it's not a guessing game, but like, do you worry or foresee the idea of the automated, you know, driver being a challenge to this industry? You know, I know it's, we've talked about it, but the idea of, let's say Tesla comes out with a fully, you know, AI driven delivery machine or whatever delivery truck. How do you think about that?
0: Yeah, no, great question, uh, you know, and a, a pretty common question we get. So I'm going to start the answer, actually, in the context of COVID recently, and let's think about rising tides. Now, bef- I, I reference COVID, because if we go back cleanly two years ago from now, summer of 2019, the delivery world is very, very busy. And I do mean delivery world, because now I'm going to push us and our audience to think about what are we talking about? not just food, not just groceries, but everything that comes off the ports and New Orleans and New Jersey and Long Beach here in Southern California. It all 70% of goods move by truck, you know, from here to here. And then we do think about the last mile to our doorstep as consumers these days, but the delivery world is busier and busier than ever. So there's two years ago, three times the volume. Four tons of volume than ever before across most fronts. And now we're starting to say, four years ago, we're like, hey, DoorDash. You know, six years ago, Drew, you might not know what DoorDash was. Four years ago, you're probably like, yeah, DoorDash now or whatever, right? I just yeah. reference them as a big, you know, recently publicly traded, now publicly traded company. <laughs> How times have changed. Um, where am I going with this? Uh, so there's busier never. Now, you apply COVID to this, and it was just simply fuel to the fire. And as all of us executives say in this world, in the retail side and logistics side, and for us in the last mile labor side of things, it has moved us, depending on who and what sector you look at, four to six years forward in the future. So suddenly, the volume we had just two, three years ago is 10 times, 12 times, 20 times the number of actual transactions, or in this case, deliveries that we need. Now, in many ways, you hear, um, I hear, at least in our world, a lot of media coverage about a driver shortage there's not enough drivers. And that's true. So, we would often say, well, we welcome the drones because we need their help. <laughs> and we do in the near term, the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years in the actual near term. There's this much business that more automated long haul trucks are going to be needed, you know, for the Amazon fleet trucks that drive together on drone systems. And certain products do allow themselves for this. We'll need that. But there is truly a need and opportunity." For more drivers to create what we call a DDI, like driverpreneurs, you know, driverpreneurial scenarios where you can work on three, four, five, six apps and you know gigs at the same time, delivering groceries and people and automotive products and this and that or pharmaceutical products uh, all over in your neighborhood and make good money doing that. So there's a great opportunity still in the very near future. Now, long term, 50 years from now, sure maybe you know we'll talk about the continued evolution and there's a lot of movement in this space
1: yeah uh, but it makes sense so yeah if you, you think 40 50 years but from now we really don't know so you, it's course. kind of a question mark but it does make sense if we're looking at the next 10 20 years that you're saying the demand just keeps it growing and you're already having a hard time supplying enough drivers to it there's room is that what it is there's room basically, for basically
0: yeah we got exactly Exactly, and there is a great opportunity for the drivers in this space to actually economize more business for them. So if we've got, I don't know, make a number up, 10 million last mile drivers in our country, for example, our company looks at things like, well, join our HR platform and we can connect you with lots of companies at once. So you can start to pick and use and do more business in the same eight hours or find what's best for you, the 1099 driver do some ride share, do some grocery, do some restaurants, do some pharmaceutical deliveries, That's whatever cool. it may be, to suddenly, hopefully, if those same 10 million drivers, now we do we need more, so call us. <laughs> but if it's, you know, uh, the same 10 million drivers that are out there today, you know, we're handling 100 million deliveries. Well, let's figure out how to get those same 10 million drivers, 150 million deliveries. And those are the initiatives and things we're working on. Everybody wins drivers are making more money more you know fiscal security etc cetera, etc cetera. and and all the delivery partners on the back side you know from retail world like walmart and best buy home depot to you know other delivery local you know businesses and mom and pop shops that need their products delivered as well everybody starts to win in this scenario
1: love it yeah speaking of the initiatives where 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 are the current initiatives for for your company right now you don't have to give away anything that's too too sensitive of information but just like where's your head at like what's next that you guys are looking to evolve into or or scale into
0: yeah no fun question fun question um so where do i want to start with this one you know one of the first things that comes to mind i think is an exciting conversation is ed tech educational technology huh You know, I mean, we think of industries being disrupted and I've been working with some other entrepreneurs, some other initiatives behind the scenes we're going to be announcing soon, but having more and more educational uh, platforms, tools and opportunities available for, in this case for DDI, the 1099 nationwide network that we support because really our position is to be here for the driver first in the simplest sense. We yeah. want to support the driver make sure they're on board a clean make sure that they don't have a lot of fees that they're you know they have the best banking products they can get paid right now yesterday etc um you know and the risk management's done so nobody's taking advantage of them so if you are 1099 maybe you don't have a workers comp traditional employment relationship you know you can have an injury solution under you know uh if you're working under us and things like that so there's a lot to know yeah. so, you know how do you do your taxes what's your risk do you have the right insurance and I coach entrepreneurs across all subjects. So now take a step back and think, wow, you're a micro business. You know, think of our conversation, the solopreneur story we told today, you know, how many Uber drivers are doing their hustle as an artist, as a graphic designer, as a chef, and they're starting their restaurants and trying to do these things. There's so many great tools that I believe we have a large enough population, truly of hundreds of thousands of drivers that, you know, we're going to connect with some great thought leaders out there more and more to bring educational products to this so you can get some certifications out there. I believe in a simple sense, the world of education is changing. We're going to see this disrupted in the next few years. And there's a lot of talk and articles and Forbes and such out there about this right now.
1: I love so. that. Well, that leads me to my next question because I wanted to come back to what you mentioned earlier, the continued development for your people being a big part of your culture and values. Uh, what does that look like? How? What? What specifically do you guys do, or encourage, or offer that helps people uh, really continue to develop?
0: You connected the dots. You got exactly right. So I, I'm super stoked on the EdTech project because why? It fits right in with uh, you know this value of continuous learning because now we're supporting and sharing this value with others and the drivers in our program. To the DDI employees is where I'll take your question though. Yeah. You know, what do we do? Let me give you something I'm super proud of. We've got a great bonus program, like a lot of companies do. So you could be on our marketing team, you could be on our sales team, you could be on our operations team. We'll set goals for your job, you know, KPIs, right? Like I'm gonna do this and set hit this number next month. Well, what's great is we set operational goals, you know, around customers and service and productivity and profitability, all the traditional goals that companies would do. But we have a fourth category for goals and it's professional and personal development. So we call them pd goals personal development goals and so our team members get to set goals and say so drew if you're on our team and it's you know july right now we say hey let's set some goals for august and you're like i'm gonna do a b c d e f g but your last goal is gonna be your professional development goal and you say hey i'm going to work on my verbal communication skills because i got to do some presentations with clients and i got to do that by doing this we support those initiatives So if they want to go to a Toastmasters class, in my example, or download some books or buy a book to read it for this skill set or whatever is of interest to our employee, we let them set a goal. Now, we hold them accountable. (laughs) You know, you got to go get a goal. It's now it's now a business goal. We're going to support that need and then we're going to count that goal towards their bonuses. Hey, you set 10 goals last month, including these ones. You know how'd you do get your bonus, and we actually quantified. So I'm really kind of stoked, and <laughs> I keep saying stoked, such a California to me. I am uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, audience, you're good. Um, I'll say gnarly before we're done, or something. Don't worry. Um, no, I am. Uh, I'm really excited and proud. Actually, if I slow down, I'm proud of this initiative that we've done to support every employee at DDI, from my COO sitting next to me to our front line, you know, uh, hourly recruiting team members that are you know talking to new drivers um everybody's got versions of professional development goals
1: that's awesome how do you get them to to actually want that right like sometimes some people are natural they they already value development others could see that as another thing i've got to uh, i've got to figure something else out i got to add another goal like how do we get more people to really value that and move towards their own development
0: Again, good question. and a short answer, I'll remind you that, you know, we do start with hiring. That's so true. We're going to we're gonna talk to people. We're going to kind of hopefully, you know, four out of five people are already going to be at DDI and our organization going to be in line with this if we're doing this systemically. But with that said, you know, we live it. We talk it. You know, we find opportunities to do this. We do. I just saw it come through on our Slack channel today. We do positive recognitions. But the positive recognition of DDI that any team member can give anybody else, big or small, um, you know, is always pick a value. Oh, I'm picking this value. Uh, One of our values is, uh, um, well, again, we'll just stick with like people, right? And so, oh, this person, you know, helped me with this. And they were, you know, training me on this. And they went above and beyond and went out of their way. And so they're always recognizing things and and talking about it. Yeah. Try to live it, you know, more than put the poster on the wall in, in the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you do that and you start to incorporate it into your monthly goals meetings and then people are there, you see people getting excited about it. And then, or the boss and me always likes to, uh, you know, how do I say this? I probably shouldn't say this, but, you know, subtly shame somebody and be like, (laughs) you missed your personal development goal, Drew. Come on, man. I was paying you to read a book, you know, come on, you know, know, these types of things. And we talk about it. We live it there. And one more time, you know, I will will remind you, hey, good job. You know, you got an extra bonus because you hit these goals and we just continue to be better
1: well in general for for goals you know not just professional goals but let's say marketing goals or sales goals or whatever what does it look like to provide in your business how do you guys provide that accountability is it a certain structure that is built in that has natural accountability to it is there a cadence of conversation check-ins like what where does the accountability get added into to the mix
0: yeah there's a system Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we have a performance management system. And you asked about, I think you said cadence in there. Yeah. There's 100% of rhythm to yep. it. So there are team leaders that become trained on how to run the performance management program, you know, and, and there's philosophies and things in there. And I'll share one or two examples of that. But there's a 100% of system. So part of the system starts with taking, we would say at DDI taking the name off the whiteboard, right? And looking at the position. Okay, well, what are the measurements of success for this role? You say marketing. Okay, well, are you the marketing manager that's got to run the team or are you a digital marketing person or are you a trade show marketing person? I don't know, right? And we may say, and we will define and agree, here's the goals and the measurements around this job. That's one starting point. So we we would know a trainee would come in and say, oh, hi, I'm an account manager on the DDI team. And we say, okay, well, here's some of the goals we're gonna look at, customer retention. Customer satisfaction. Here's how we measure that survey and get those scores. Uh, driver retention and driver engagement, etc., etc., etc. Yeah. So here's that. the KPIs you know coming into that. So so really just understanding and agreeing, and then just a very clear sense of what are the goals. First of all, what are the goals? Yeah. Number one is one starting point. The second philosophy to share behind our system on this is the idea of um, well, I have kit. And actually, you know, one thought here is this idea of not telling our team members what to do. Sort of like, don't, you know, you tell your kid, go clean your room and it doesn't work. (laughs) You know, no, no. Or in our heads, you know, nobody likes to be told what to do. So in the spirit of goals, we negotiate goals versus dictate goals. Hmm. So I'll say that again, you know, we will always negotiate a goal. And there's a process to that that our team leaders are trained on and you learn as a team member at DDI and you know which is the following idea if drew the account manager comes in and you say hey my goal is customer retention you're gonna say hey this is what i'm thinking and specifically what i want my goal to be for next month and your boss your supervisor is going to go through that well how does that compare how does that look like oh that's pretty aggressive goal or hey you've done a lot better than that in the past why is that goal so low and this idea so there's a very active conversation, like but it's that. led from the team member. I think is the philosophy I was trying to share here. Right? Yeah. So we negotiate the goals, so we bring it to the table, and then you know, a lot of times, especially if you kind of that some team members, to your point, are like really into it in performance management, and they are great with the numbers and the goals, they're usually pretty good. You know, you just review a couple of things, and some people need coaching. That's just part of the team side. So,
1: so once they set the goals, how often are they reviewed in terms of? on track off track or is it just at the end of the at the end of the quarter or however long out they set the goal what does that look like no,
0: I love your questions because my team gets, my team at DDI gets almost annoyed by me saying the word rhythms over and over and over because there's rhythms in the pulse of our organization to lots of things. We have a great administrative team that knows it's like, yeah, it's our job to keep everybody on track. So there's a monthly meeting. <laughs> Sorry, that was a long winded way to say there's a monthly meeting, is the okay. answer to your question. Now, some of the senior teams do have some goals that will set on a quarterly cadence because that just makes sense. Our sales team, for example, the sales cycle usually takes a few weeks. So monthly goals are tough to capture. So we'll look at goals on a, a broader basis, but there there's always a cadence that's consistently
1: set. And then there's a team meeting that the whole system and structure runs through. Cool. Well, you've guys got, it sounds amazing. Like you've done a, a lot of intentional work to get these leaders prepared to be able to have these kind of conversations to understand goal setting, accountability, leadership. What do you, how did you do that? Like, what are you doing to prepare those leaders for the kinds of things that you're talking about, these management performance systems and accountability conversations and and such?
0: Yeah, great, great question. Because when you think of leaders and executives on our team and ourselves into this conversation now as the leaders, um, you know, our continued education. I think is something that's really important, and and not to, you know, and I'll take this slightly a different way, but for me, and thinking of our audience today, let's let's take the peer approach. Peer-to-peer networking groups are very, very important, I believe, to to me and my senior leadership team. So having my COO have an opportunity where he can go work with a bunch of other COOs and they can talk about their crazy CEO bosses
1: right, <laughs> you know? right.
0: or the initiatives they're working on, you know, that may be the same. Oh, I got to grow this and I got to grow this. But you're like, well, I run a, you know, I don't know, a paint company and I run a HR company and I sell whatever widgets. Um, to hear our ideas in juxtaposed scenarios, to me, learning from peers is is invaluable. I mean, I literally just two weeks ago went to take a day and a half, two days to go up to Sundance, Utah with a mastermind group, right? 30 other entrepreneurs working on the stuff, sharing our challenges, sharing our problems. You hear 20 people working on different things. You find five people working on a similar thing. You have this amazing kind of thought leadership level conversation when you kind of step away from working on the problems. I mean, finding these groups for me and my leadership team. Senior sales executives working with other senior sales executives. My executive assistant is always talks about her kind of online LinkedIn peer group where we share ideas and this and that, and pushing adaptations of this idea of peer to peer learning. Huge, huge.
1: Love that. Has that been a a trial and error process finding the right kind of peer networks and groups and that kind of thing for you?
0: Yes, I think that's fair. Uh, you know, uh, the ones that have worked really well for me, uh, again, thinking of our audience today, are groups of, and, and let's define our peer then, right? And to me, if I'm a little pushy about this, some of the best networking groups of this, to this conversation have been other entrepreneurial groups. Usually it's groups where we can share the challenges where it's like, confidentially I will, no names on this but I'll, somebody shared recently hey my number two is a friend of mine right and like uh i think i gotta get rid of it because mm. the business is going here yeah. and these conversations and that's a tough conversation to have with maybe your friends even some lifelong friends maybe you play cards once a month with your lifelong buddies and it's like they maybe they don't live these worlds or your other employees can't relate things like that so I don't know. Finding those groups are really significant. And so what does that mean? It's other founders and entrepreneurs. I I often look for that. You know, who am I going to be in the room with? Are there VPs and, you know, up and coming directors on here? They have different challenges too. So if we kind of be selfish in what we're looking for in our continuing education and stuff.
1: Do you recommend being a part of just one group or do you have multiple groups? How do you, (laughs) how do you think about it? I don't think it's right or wrong
0: answer to that. I have friends that are very successful doing, you know, a ton of them. I personally sort of pick and choose. It comes time and time management. Now, to share my own philosophy, I like to invest into things to get a lot out. I've always believed in that. So I find less is more here personally, just personally. Um, I I have some friends that run around a dozen groups (laughs) a year. Sure. Uh, But one or two for me go a long way because you can find consistency within those groups. You can create community and tribe trust and deeper relationships, I feel. Um, And I try to tend to invest. So for me, I'll I'll give a shout out to a group that I'm not part of now, but was for 12, 15 years is EO. If you've heard of the Entrepreneurs Organization, for example, right? I, I, you know, there's great opportunities if you're part of a group like that. That is million dollar more businesses, founders, CEOs only, you know, no executives in these groups, part of the application process. And it's global, so you're learning from all of these different scenarios, right? But there's so many opportunities to lean in, and so finding a great group where, yeah, maybe you can join the board, maybe you can be a part of it's a huge organization, part of the global initiatives and the global board, um, or to do these different things, or even in smaller groups, offering to to mentor somebody and things. I, I for me, I get so much out of putting time in. So I don't know, I don't like I'm a busy guy. One or two groups is
1: enough. That's perfect. <laughs> That's perfect. All right, my friend, let's get into our lightning round questions. I've got five questions for you. We've asked every founder these five questions. Number one, if you can ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? And I don't want to be a broken record and
0: talk about never stop learning. So let's give you a different answer today on that one. (laughs) You know, it's lead with your heart. I really believe that we know and how to do the right thing. And if it's a big question or a small question, if it's directed to our organization, is follow your instincts because they're gonna be right nine times out of ten if we base our decisions on our values in our organization. Yeah. So that'd be my that's awesome.
1: Okay, question number two. If you oh not if you. Uh, What is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also, what was the worst advice? Okay, here's a fun one that I heard not
0: long ago that I heard years ago, but I love it. And it was reminding me. So the best advice is if you don't have an administrative assistant, if you don't have an assistant, you are one. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> right. And, and that is not to diminish the work that the assistants do, but my goodness, I have had an EA and a, and a personal assistant for years and years and years. And my current one is, is absolutely amazing. And they make us better. They make us better. And they start to see steps in front of us that we don't see. So if you don't have an assistant, you are one. That's probably the best advice I have here. Um, worst advice. Uh, I thought about this one. If you want something done, you got to do it yourself. Yes, It's terrible advice. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. That's like an ego driven, like, and I got a huge ego, so I get it. But I was like, no, no, I probably followed that advice too many times. <laughs> you know, so, so I don't think that's great advice. You know, follow my 80% lesson earlier, right? You don't have to do it yourself.
1: You yes. So good. <laughs> All right. Question number three, what causes you the most stress or worry currently leading your organization?
0: these days summertime 2021 it's velocity but what comes with velocity it's like the idea that we're a race car follow me here if you're moving at 40 miles an hour you know you can kind of move your steering wheel pretty far to the left and you can still manage that but you go at 240 miles an hour the slightest turn to the left to the right may push you into the wall mm. and so this idea of velocity you know, it's it's keeping the vision in line and making sure we're making really good decisions from a strategic standpoint, you know, and, and the other things that come with Velocity, what? Cash, cash flow, people, you know, really, I lean. I spend probably 50% of my day, you know, we have the right team, how's our team working, how are we evolving? So, so wow. these are the things that keep me up at night behind Velocity.
1: Yeah, totally makes sense. Okay, right. question number four. What is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal?
0: Yeah, we actually stated one with the team not long ago. I like BHAGs.
1: So right now, the nice clear
0: one for DDI, uh, for Delivery Drivers, Inc., is to positively impact 10 million global 1099 entrepreneurs.
1: Cool. Heck yeah. How far, what's the gap between where you are now and getting there?
0: Oh, dang it, Drew, don't go hold of me accountable to that one. No, uh, over the 20-some-odd years we've been in business, uh, we are probably just right around a million total drivers that have been through our network to this point. Gotcha. Um, so just shy of that, still in the hundreds of thousands, if I'm not mistaken. Now I'm going to go look that number up.
1: <laughs> are you imagining it's a few years? Is it 10 years? How far do you think your estimation is to get to that?
0: You know, We actually said three-year goal kind of specifically as a team or kind of specifically how funny is that very specifically as a team, we set a three-year goal behind that, you know, it's going to take some international expansion, some great initiatives that we're pretty excited about.
1: Yeah. Heck yeah. Awesome. All right. Last question. This is our creative question. If you could hop into a DeLorean, you get to go back to your past and you get to tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window as you drive by, when are you going back? And what are you telling that younger version of yourself? Oh man, that is a
0: crazy question. I know.
1: The the DeLorean's throwing me off. Okay, let's see.
0: (laughs) In my 40s, so when would I go back? We're gonna keep this all in the context of business for our audience today. You know, I'd probably go back to, when did I have about six employees? Go back to right around, we're gonna say 2002. So we're gonna go back about 19 years and I really just think what I have to shout at myself is get the big red S off your chest. And that alludes to a Superman
1: syndrome thing that maybe I know these days I didn't, wouldn't have known back then, (laughs) you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, man, Adam, this has been, uh, uh, Aaron, sorry. I had Adam on before Aaron, this has been awesome. My friend, Uh, I've learned a lot. It's clear to see why you mentor other entrepreneurs. Your brain is firing a mile a minute. You guys have done uh, so much right. And it's exciting to see the growth trajectory you are on. Uh, And no doubt in my mind, you guys are going to hit that BHAG. So, buddy, thank you for being here today, taking part of your Friday to share with us and our audience. We've learned much. And uh, thank you again for being here. Appreciate the time. Thank you, my friend. Have a great weekend. Yes, sir.
0: Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.